No more Mr. Nice Guy. Welcome back to Scream 101. I'm Brennan Klein. And I'm Shannon Chalakian. And we changed our clue system so you were able to watch along with us. So if you did watch along with us, then you would have watched Shocker. I'm so Which sorry. is a Wes Craven movie because of the horrible passing of Wes Craven in this last uh, week. So this entire episode is dedicated to him and dedicated to Wes Craven movies, which leads us into our introduction, which we do every week, which is our 10 words or less reviews. But this one's got a twist. Brennan? Okay. Well, Wes Craven was a really big role model of mine, and I wanted to pay homage to him in a way that felt very respectful and all-encompassing on this podcast. And I understand that we don't have that much time to do so. So I was going to – what we're going to be doing – is we're going to do 10-word reviews of every Wes Craven movie that we have seen, and we're going to pick our favorite scene, and to try to encompass the totality of his influence, but also in a slightly more timely manner. Slightly more timely. So Only slightly. I've seen a lot. Yeah, bear like with us. Um, I've only seen a couple of his movies, but Brennan has obviously... Oh, he's got an entire, he's got <laughs> an entire page. He I just do. unfolded his page, folks. I unscrolled the scroll and just rolled across the floor. Hear ye, hear ye. Okay, so let's start. Brennan, why don't you start with yours? Okay, yeah. And then, Shannon, you can jump in on the ones that you've seen. Sounds great. All right. The Last House on the Left. Unwatchably gruesome, unspeakably incisive. Shower after watching this one. And my favorite scene in Last House on the Left, and it's really hard to choose because every scene in Last House on the Left is gruesome and awful to watch, but my favorite scene is a dream sequence where someone tries to use dental tools to knock out someone's teeth, but they wake up just in time. And it's disgusting and really impactful, just like the rest of the movie. And if you want to listen back to last episode, it is the movie that has most profoundly affected Stephanie Hodge, who we spoke to last week. The Hills Have Eyes. Sophomore slump. Intellectually sound, but a tough watch. And my favorite scene, again, it's very similar to Last House on the Left, so it's kind of bleak. My favorite scene is that there's this reaction shot from a baby just sitting in its little stroller thing, and it just has wide bug eyes, and it's just really funny. Deadly Blessing. Micro-budget sets, but alarmingly good tension sequences. Hi, Sharon Stone. My favorite scene is a knockout, drag-down fight between these two ladies at the very end, and it's one of the most intense and fast-paced fight sequences that I've ever seen in modern cinema. And it was so fun and so unexpected. The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Craven attempts a straight slasher. It goes awry because Craven. And my favorite scene in that one is where a dog has a flashback to the original film. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Damn good horror. A masterpiece that changed the entire genre. And my favorite scene in that one is the first death in the film, which is Tina's death, where she gets dragged onto the ceiling and slashed open. And it's just a really beautifully composed sequence. And it's also terrifying and gorgeous. And Shannon has also seen this one, so she can chime in. Yeah, I can finally speak. Um, so my 10-word review is uh, Johnny Depp is an ethereal being wearing a crop top. And the scene that I really enjoyed was um, the token reaching through the ceiling shot where it just looks i mean they just did it with a sheet they actually tore open the seat the roof in order mm-hmm. to do so right and they put a sheet over it but i thought that was so creepy because you wouldn't think of anything solid like a wall or a ceiling to be pliable like that it's very dreamlike yeah Ooh. 
And Wes Craven's New Nightmare. So intelligent, it makes me itch. Best horror sequel ever. And my favorite scene is very early on in the film. It's where it actually takes place during the real Northridge earthquake of 1994. And her wall gets slashed open in the shape of Freddy's claws. And I've also seen New Nightmare. My review is everyone needs dinosaurs named Rex to keep them safe. And my favorite scene was at the hospital death where she gets pulled up into the sky and ripped apart. It was cool. Which is also a reflection of Tina's death from the first one, which Ooh. is my favorite. Ooh. And Scream, the movie that ignited my love for horror. Enough said. My favorite scene is the opening phone call because that's probably the best horror scene that's ever been filmed in the entire world. And it's so stressful and funny and brilliant. And you see the mask for the first time like nine minutes in and it's terrifying. It's great. And it's the reawakening of Drew Barrymore, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my general review for Scream is, why doesn't anyone ever listen to the horror film nerd? Well, and they do. They're listening to this podcast right now. Hey, look at that. But they're probably also horror film nerds. That's so. true. Yeah. Anyway, um, my favorite scene was actually Wes Craven as a janitor dressed up like, uh, like Freddy. Because it was like the most, it was the strangest thing about that entire movie. Which is saying something because that entire movie is kind of strange. Um, but it just, it just kind of broke the suspension of disbelief as far as, you know, cutting to a janitor dressed as Freddy Krueger. It was very strange. And Scream 2, unforgivably good sequel, a love letter to college slashers. And my favorite scene is a scene in an audio recording room where Courtney Cox is on one side of a soundproof wall and David Arquette is on the other side and he's being attacked by the killer and she's trying to let him know but he can't hear her. And there's it's such a good sequence. It's pretty great. Um, my channel review is, the Greek system is annoying but not killing spree annoying. And the scene is from when they were in a cop car and they're in a cop car and Ghostface is essentially knocked out in the cop car and they have to get out of the cop car by getting like over ghost face it was cool the ghost face killer which came first the rapper or the movie who knows okay music of the heart craven and streep sometimes the world is a beautiful place meryl streep was in that movie no no no. i know she was I'm, nominated for an oscar i'm giving you that weird look because you went from scream 2 to music of the heart did that happen after scream 2 yeah it was 99 oh Okay. He kind of blackmailed the studios because he was like, I will not direct Scream 3 unless you let me direct this heartwarming drama about a white lady teaching urban kids how to play the violin. (laughs) Anyway, my favorite scene in that movie is when Meryl Streep is kind of being harsh on her first class of students. And she's teaching them how to stand strong in a proper posture in violin. And she's pushing them all. And she's like, I won't be able to push you over if you have proper posture. And she shoves this one girl and she flies into the wall. And she discovers that the girl has leg braces so she can't stand properly. And like she, she, that is her turning point of learning, oh, I can't treat these kids like I've been treating them. And she learns how to be inspiring and all that stuff. But I just think it's so funny that she shoved the leg brace girl into the wall. And it allowed me a really great running joke that, Delighted Sergio to no end. It's a really great stumbling joke. Oh, God. Oh, Meryl. Meryl, Meryl, Meryl. (laughs) Scream 3. The worst scream, but still plenty of fun. Dempsey forever. And my favorite scene is when Sydney is fighting Ghostface in a uh, staged version of her own house. So she gets to use her same tricks in the bedroom again, but also she tries to open a door and it just opens onto nothing because it's a fake door. And it's just, it's just very reminiscent of the Winchester Mystery House and it's a really cool sequence. Mine was, why don't more bad guys wear snazzy bulletproof vests? And the scene, well, pretty much instead of like one singular scene, it was anytime Gail and fake Gail were solving crimes <laughs> together, I just got really jazzed because I thought that was smart and silly. It was really fun. 
and Red Eye. Don't get a manicure before watching this. Stunning nail-biting thriller. And my favorite scene in that movie is when Rachel McAdams tries to use soap to write a message on the mirror to save her from Cillian Murphy. And I also watched My Soul to Take. It's hard for a septuagenarian to write teen dialogue. And my favorite scene is an example of that dialogue where the super religious girl says, if it gets too hot, you just need to turn on the prayer conditioning. Oh no! It's not a great film. No, I gotta use that though. Yeah, you should. Oh man. And Scream 4, underrated horror sequel, Panettiere is androgynous perfection. And my favorite scene in that movie is when Hayden Panettiere's character, Kirby, um, is asked a trivia question by the killer, and he's asking a question about a horror remake, and she just cuts him off and lists every single remake that's happened in the past ten years. And it's hilarious, and it's really incisive against the trends in horror right now. Yeah, and at the same time, she's, like, crying over the fact yeah. that, like, it's so stressful, she's but like, also she's just, like... Piranha, like, the hills have eyes, Black Christmas, Halloween, is like, oh my god. Texas Chainsaw Massacre! You know, and she's, she's, yeah, she was just, like, like so... I don't know, so cool. Anyway, um, mine was... And we, you have to know, folks, that we did this separately. Like, we didn't do these together. We did them separately. But my, rev- my review was, uh, no one else matters in this film but Kirby, who is Hayden Panettiere's character. <laughs> um, and the scene... Uh, Although that scene was the scene that Brennan said was the scene that I would have picked, I decided to pick a, a different one, a more settler one, where she sits down on a couch when they just kind of meet up, girls and the guys, and um, they're watching horror on the TV, and one of the guys, you know, makes a comment, and she just shuts him down with trivia, and mm-hmm. just, just uh, you know, takes all their, their sexist comments about girls who don't know film, and just makes them eat it. Hidden Pantier is great. I don't know why she doesn't dress like that all the time. She really should. Like, really. I'll, I'll, I'll text her. Okay, thanks. So we're going to wrap up this 10 Words or Less segment with our top three Wes Craven films. So Shannon, what is your top three? My top three are Scream, Scream 4, and New Nightmare. Delicious. And just for the sake of variety, I picked three films that weren't on Shannon's list because Scream and New Nightmare also would have been on mine, just for the record. But I was like... Why not mix things up a little bit? So my top three are A Nightmare on Elm Street, Red Eye, and The Last House on the Left. And now we can move on into our discussion of one of his films that we haven't talked about because we're going to delve into it in more detail, 1989's Shocker. After being captured for a series of gruesome murders, Horace Pinker, a television repairman, faces execution by the electric chair, but a deal with the devil allows him to come back as electricity. Once he changes into his new form, Pinker goes after the detective that brought him down, Lieutenant Don Parker, as well as Parker's adopted son, Jonathan. However, Jonathan's mysterious connection to Pinker through his dreams might help track the killer's moves. If you're confused about that summary, um, welcome to the club, because (laughs) I was confused about the entire movie so it's a very uh, add movie but it's also pretty fun so let's go into our four rankings shannon what did you rank it on scariness hold on let's reel it back first of all there are spoilers in this discussion second of all we have our ratings on a series of four different readings we rate scariness from one to five screams campiness from one to five perms gore from one to five severed limbs and quality from one to five unlucky stars and starting with scariness i'm gonna say that uh this movie was not scary and i'm gonna rate it uh two out of five 
just because it was kind of stressful in some parts. Yeah, there, there were some good sequences. Like, I rated it two out of five screams as well. There's a part that's simultaneously hilarious, but also kind of scary, where he possesses a barca lounger and attacks the kid. Oh, yeah, that was great. That was, the, like, the best but, scene. Yeah, then his eyeballs pop out of the buttons, and it's so silly, but it's also kind of frightening, because once he actually bursts out of the thing, you're like, please stop. But it's very Wes, you know? Like, that was very Wes, and the only other part that I can remember being very Wes was, like, when he like the killer was kind of away from the electricity like the outlets uh-huh. and he like made his fingers longer in oh, order yeah. to stick his fingers in the outlet and it was just very it was freddy you know yeah absolutely this was Wes craven's attempt at creating a new franchise for a different company and it's kind of a beat for beat rework of the nightmare on elm street mythos just with an electricity man but the opening act i thought was pretty effective when horace pinker was kind of mowing down cops and random families and Mitch Pileggi, who went on to play Skinner in the X-Files, does a great job. Like, he's tearing it down. Like, he's doing a good job. But as the film goes on, it just kind of gets overwhelmed by this tidal wave of camp, which is a good transition into our next score. Shannon, what did you rate it on campiness? So I rated it a 2 on campiness because it was, well, it was an 89, you know, so it was in a transitional period. So there wasn't very much evidence of it being very 80s. There weren't any, it wasn't big hair. It was just kind of there. I think I would have rated it higher on campiness if I was rating it based on just how confusing and like how weird it was. Like that would have been made my score higher, but I just decided to use it on like an aesthetic standpoint and it's just a two for me. That's fair. Um, I actually took it the opposite direction. I gave it a three out of five perms because there are a lot of really strange and interesting elements to this film. Well, first of all, the entire soundtrack is basically Alice Cooper. Which is great. And so it's so just of that period and so like heavy metal and just does not fit anything. And like I said, like the evil chair and he has kind of these puns, the killer has puns that he says where he's like, get into my volts wagon and like punch yourself in the face. I know, that's also very... Stick your fingers into the light socket. That's very Wes. And it is very Wes and it's kind of endearing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not his best story and there's not a lot of thematic elements at play, but there's a lot of really silly things going on. Like the the main kid who can't act his way out of a paper bag, really. But whenever he runs, he bobs his head up and down like a pigeon. <laughs> and yeah, he takes his shirt off sometimes. It's a good time. Yeah, that's why I liked it for campiness. Your explanation of campiness made as much sense as the movie did. I'm sorry. It's It's been a long day. That's all right. Okay, Gore, what do you rate? I rate it two out of five severed limbs. Because once Horace Pinker turns into electricity, most of the kills are just kind of like him traveling from body to body, like the demon worm and Jason goes to hell. And the bodies just kind of die after he leaves them. It's very strange. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm pretty sure it's not how electricity works, but... I didn't go to technical school, so who knows? Um, but there's a couple really good sequences early on, like Horace Pinker biting the lip of this uh, guard at the jail, and he's like stretching it out, and it's all bloody, and it's pretty gross, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I will say, for it being called Shocker, it, it well, first of all, it just shouldn't have been called Shocker. Like, <laughs> for the most part, we, we played on the dreamscape thing again that we do in Night- Nightmare. Um, there was also this whole thematic element about kind of like adoption and fatherhood and that was really really deep in there that could have been exposed more and could have been used more um and then there was like dead dead girlfriends coming back to life but not really back to life just coming back to possess and like 
guide yeah. along. There were a lot of deus ex machina where it's like the girlfriend that got killed is suddenly back as a ghost and everything's fine and yeah, like and she can just do what she you. wants. Yeah, and so there was that and there was also like black magic. There was black magic and, and like Satanism, which... Oh, well, when, when he did that like voodoo spell at the beginning to turn himself into electricity when he finally died... He, he was, like, hooked up via jumper cables to this TV, and this big pair of lips comes out, and, and he's like, give me the power! And it's like, you got it, baby. And I'm like, yep, hello, Wes Craven. Oh, that was supposed to be the devil. I get it I now. So. I was like, what? Like, TV power? Also, it was so funny, because, like, his last request was a TV, and I was like, I'm pretty sure his last request was not jumper cables. And also, if it was, who would give him jumper cables? Also, who gave him all those candles that he lit? Yeah, all you the know, black candles. I bet where he kept them. I'm not going to bring oh, it up no. on air. We're going to move on. Anyway. Um, I rated it the same. I had two out of five um, for gore. There were some good effects. There's a lot of blood, which was good. Not really blood effects, but a lot of good blood and a lot of good uh, um, slicing of of necks, which yeah. I am always down for. So, yeah. In quality, I would rate it, again, I was two pretty much across the board. Um, so, two out of five unlucky stars. It was entertaining, and I... Would watch it again to throw popcorn at the screen, but uh-huh. that's uh, that's pretty much it. I rated it three out of five unlucky stars, and well, I'm not I'm not trying to defend Wes Craven's worst films, several of which I watched this weekend. But he always had a central idea that he was working with, and I admire that. And sometimes when you're working with it, it turns into a masterpiece. Sometimes it's The Hills Have Eyes Part Two. Like it comes with studio influence and just how everything interacts. So I don't blame him. I got distracted. But I rated it three out of five unlucky stars. There's a really great effect sequence at the end where Horace and Jonathan are fighting through all of these TV channels. And it's kind of like Forrest Gump superimposing them onto like Frankenstein or Leave it to Beaver. And it's really clever and really fun. And the first act I thought was actually very impactful. The second act, shot to crap. Like, everything is very strange in Deus Ex Machina-y, but I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, but the movie has only two acts. It only has two acts because you have the act leading up until him getting the electric chair, and then the rest of the movie is about that. Uh He doesn't become Shocker until... This like the second half yeah, of like the movie. Forty five minutes in. Or yeah. Something. So the buildup is really strange, and the buildup at the beginning, like in the first act, is actually pretty good because you're kind of like, why is he doing this? Who is this guy? And he also he had a limp, like Kaiser Kose or Kaiser Kose. Kaiser Sose. He has a limp like Kaiser Sose, and you're just like, what is? I don't understand what's going on. And you're slowing slowly piecing things together, and then it just gets weird. It's like yeah, it. It needed a, an editor at the script level, probably, yeah. but yeah. it was still fun to watch. Yeah, still fun. So, Shannon, it's time for the best segment ever, Champion Dialogue. What Champion is your dialogue. favorite piece of dialogue? So, my favorite piece of dialogue, um, even though there were some great zingers, especially uh, kind of like the weird, like, Volkswagen and things oh, like God. that. Great my favorite is a relative term. I know. Well, great for Wes. You know, great for Wes Craven. No, well, he... In this movie. Yeah. He's done some great stuff. Right. We're not discounting that. That's true. But there was there was just this little piece of dialogue that was kind of subtle, but I really liked. Um, and here it is. And it's in reference to, um, you know, this group of kids being on the roof of a generator plant. And they're already on the roof. Like, they're already up there. They already broke in. They, they already broke they in. They cut open the they fence They did the thing. Like, in. they're all the way in there, you know. And Rhino, who, who has literally, like, like... 
And Rhino is Jonathan's best friend. Yeah, Jonathan's best friend. Rhino has like he's like best friend supreme. Like he he breaks Jonathan out of a cop car and they confess their love to each other and it's just like the most adorable, wonderful friendship ever. Rhino's not having this kid not being down, so this is what they say. All right. Man, it's locked. Let's get out of here. Pick it. That's a felony. No, that's a lock. Pick it. My champion dialogue comes after Horace Pinker has supposedly been executed, but Jonathan doesn't think that that's what happened because his body burst into flame and dissolved, which isn't what happens, turns out, in the electric chair. So he's already suspicious, and then the cop car that's taking the medical examiner away crashes and explodes, and he's like, I bet it was Horace, and this is how his dad comforts him. Are you crazy? Listen, Curtis Winters and the doctor all of a sudden, huh? Pinker is dead, John. Go home and get drunk or something. And I just think that's very excellent fatherly advice that we should all tell our children. It's very valuable for the world. <laughs> no, it's just so inexplicable. Why would you just tell his kid, like, ah, go get wasted. Horace Pinker's dead. Like, your girlfriend's dead. Your family's dead. Just take a couple shots of vodka. Have a great time. Yeah, totally. Uh, on to favorite character. My favorite character was Surprise Rhino. I always feel funny doing all these champion dialogue favorite character favorite, favorite scene because more than likely they're all going to involve each other. Like, my dialogue's going to involve my favorite character. My favorite character is going to be my favorite scene. Like, it's just, it usually happens. Well, mine are all different, so oh, I don't know what you're talking well, about. well, I am not unique. <laughs> um, but my favorite character was Rhino. No, you just have so much love in your heart. Obviously so. Uh, my favorite character was Rhino because, again, he he's like the most wonderful half of a platonic ship ever and he's he's very you know he lets his best friend do what what his best friend needs to do and gives him space but at the same time when he's in the thick then you know rhino busts him out and and uh, doesn't question when his best friend needs help and i think that's that's uh really admire admirable is the word admirable and yeah so rhino what is your favorite? That's beautiful. My favorite character is Allison, who's Jonathan's girlfriend. She gets stabbed to death really early on, like 20 minutes in, and this movie is so long. It's too long. But she just keeps coming back as a ghost. Like, whether it's in his dreams or in reality, she just keeps, like, stepping back into the world, and she's like, hey, I got some advice to give you. You lost this necklace that you gave me, so I'm going to keep giving it back to you because apparently it's, like, kryptonite to Horace Pinker for some well, Some it's reason. love. It's metaphor for love. And Horace Pinker doesn't have he love. He doesn't have any. Yeah, he's like Voldemort. That's the whole, that's Harry Potter, Fine. you know? But I'm like Tina Turner. I'm like, what's love got to do with it? Let's move on. But there's this one great scene where he's trying to find the necklace in the lake and her ghost just pops up out of nowhere and she just keeps trying to hug him and she's like, Jonathan! And he keeps swimming away. And I have no idea why because he's been talking to her ghost throughout the entire movie, but now he's afraid. And then they start making out on the beach and then he wakes up and he's like oh i actually have to do stuff now yeah well she like kisses him but he's not having it and then he, finally he's like all right and then starts kissing her back it was really it was strange it was really strange yeah but i like her she's sweet all right um my favorite scene was again involving rhino rhino uh and i had mentioned it a little bit earlier talking about champion dialogue but there was this, there was this point where um uh, jonathan gets arrested by his detective father because his detect- detective father was like you know, we saw Pinkerton die in the electric chair and people keep dying and you are always, you are always at the scene. So I think that you might be doing it and I can't, I don't have any reason to not send you to jail essentially. So he's like, okay, I'm going to put you, I'm going to put you in the cop car. And he's like, I'll take you alone. And 
they get into the cop car, cop car and then come to find out Daddy-O has actually been <laughs> taken over by Pinkerton and surprise, surprise, he's going to be killed. And Rhino literally comes out of nowhere, breaks with one arm, breaks through the glass of the cop car. He's an actual Rhino, I think, Ac- yeah, in a human body. That's like the point. Uh, breaks through the cop car, grabs grabs Jonathan and pulls him through the window and then they run off. It was really cool. That was fantastic. And my favorite scene is this televangelist on TV who's trying to get money for his religious sect. Oh my God. And this could have been an alternate champion dialogue, but I picked it for my scene and he just goes, let it rain dollars for Christ. And that just seems like such a strange, pious perversion of like the strip club rapper thing. And it was, I was highly amused by it. You should take that that scene and then just mix it into some Pitbull song. I should. That'd be so great. They're all the same. Just pick any of them. Yeah, exactly. Bonus content for for the (laughs) podcast. Oh, no promises, but I will try. It's time to move on into our next segment, the Splatter Dome. Splatter Dome. Splatter. And now, a moment of silence for those who have departed us. Bobby is stabbed to death. Diane is also stabbed to death. Sally is also stabbed to death. Woo. Sarge's throat is slit. Cop number one is stabbed in the gut. Cop number two has his throat slashed. Cop number three strangled with a radio cord. Allison is also stabbed to death. Cop number four has his head twisted all the way around. Medical examiner dies in a car explosion. Jogger is shot in the back. Pastori dies when Horace Pinker's electricity leaves his body, because why not? Amanda dissolves. Amanda's mom also probably dies. We don't actually see it. Pac-Man is stabbed to death. Coach Cooper is stabbed in the chest. Horace Pinker is killed by a power outage. And now an actual moment of silence for Wes Craven. All right, Shannon, what was your favorite kill? My favorite kill, we just talked about it because we just talked about all the kills. Um, My favorite kill was when cop number four has his head twisted all the way around. I mean, it was maniacal and it was when Uh Horace Pinker was was in the body of a woman. Um, Actually, she was the the doctor. Yeah, at his execution. Yeah, at his execution. And they were like carrying her out. And then she like woke up and was fine. It was amazing. And they all got in the car and she went to get in the car. But instead of getting in the car, she just takes his head and snaps it all the way backwards. So it's looking back at the person behind him. It was It's, it's a exciting. metaphor for embracing the past. Oh, good God. I don't know. That was my favorite kill, too. It's, it, well, it's the goriest kill and it's the coolest kill. Because as you may have noticed, there are infuriatingly large number of stabbings in this movie yeah like a lot of the kills are very general where it's like you see a body it's covered in ketchup you're like there is no specific knife wound that i see it's just dead person yeah they weren't even good they weren't even good stabbings i mean there were a couple good stabbings during the sequence where pinker horse pinker was just like killing everyone like all the cops that he just like went out and like stab 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 but other than that it was just like all right yeah fair enough and so if you could resurrect one of those people who died, who would you choose? I would <laughs> I would resurrect Ted Raimi, who, who um, played Pac-Man, just because uh, as a major Xena fan, I 
am both fed up and in love with Ted Raimi. <laughs> but he was actually pretty good in this in this film. I feel like the character worked with him really well, and he wasn't he wasn't um, playing the role that he usually plays in in his brother's films and and uh, TV shows, which is just to be the campy kind of mode of humor. You know, he was actually a real character, and I don't know, he was good. He was cute. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And my resurrection is, I would have said Allison, but death doesn't really seem to be much of an obstruction to her. She just keeps coming back anyway to shoot beams of light out of her chest at people. It's it's a weird movie, but I liked Allison a lot, so I'm going to pick her anyway, even though death is only a mild nuisance to her. Yeah. It, it would be polite, I feel. Yeah, and she was great, and she looked like Kate McKinnon, and, you know, was literally an ethereal being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so so who would you murder? I would murder, there's not a lot of people left alive at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. but I would murder the news anchor just because he was so rude that basically um, Horace Pinker kills the family of the cop who is investigating him. And so the news anchor's like, so what's it like to have your family killed? Like literally minutes later. And I was like, he deserves to die. And he didn't. So I would do it. Was that the same news anchor at the end? Too? Yes. Yeah. It was that guy. Yeah. He was such a D-bag. Especially yeah, like. Was. Like, everyone in the entire town knew that Jonathan, the main character, had gone through all this trauma in his life. Like, he started out, first of all, he was he was a foster kid because he went through um, abuse, and then he was adopted by this wonderful family, but then all his family gets killed except for his detective dad, who was kind of grumbly, you know? And so everyone should be paying him a little bit of, like, caution in, like, allowing him to be, you know, like, recover. And this guy is just like, you're sure you're going to bring the killer to me? Yeah. And I was like, get over yourself, man. Um, I would, again, there weren't that many people, but I would murder the kid who, um, is not really down for breaking laws as far as, um, opening up the, the generator on the top floor. Cause he was like, no, I can't do this. And I was like, and, and Rhino, my favorite character, um, was literally like, get out of the way. You're bugging me. Yeah. I'd kill him too. Yeah. As if this podcast wasn't enough fun already. It's time to have even more fun. It's time to enter the games round. All right, both of these games are not based on the movie Shocker, but Wes Craven's filmography as a whole. And I must admit, both of these games are also adapted from the now streaming podcast hosted by Andrew Furtado, which I was a guest on two weeks ago. You should check it out. It was a lot of fun. And so that's my credit to him. Also, as an added twist to the games, whoever wins actually has some impact on our podcast. So that'll be fun. Basically... Every time Shannon gets a question right, she gets a point. Every time she gets a question wrong, I get a point. If Shannon ends up with more points than me at the end, I have to finish the podcast with a British accent. Shannon, does that sound okay to you? Is that acceptable? That sounds great. I'm I'm intrigued as to how this is going to work because we've never done these games before. That's true, but you have to try to win. That's right. So I'm on it. Okay. So our first game is called Dream Logic. And this game, I'm going... Because Wes Craven has had a lot of very strange movies with really weird ideas going on. So I'm going to read you the logline to three Wes Craven movies. But the catch is they might not be real Wes Craven movies. So you have to tell me whether or not you think it's real or fake. Okay. Are you ready? As I'll ever be. Okay. So I'm going to let you know. um, Each of these summaries includes an actor's name. So the fact that I mentioned a specific actor doesn't mean that it's real. Okay. Question number one. Paul Conway is new in town. When his crush, Christy Swanson, is rendered brain dead after a tragic accident, he implants her mind with a chip from his robot friend with deadly consequences. 
Uh, I'm going to say not real. Actually, that is Deadly Friend from 1986. Oh, God. that It's a real Wes Craven movie. That should not be called Deadly Friend. That should be called Relationship Abuse, and that's horrible. What? Do not implant your No, she was precious... brain dead. She's dead. Yeah, but still, he's new in town. Why is he doing that to a girl he's just barely met? That doesn't okay. make any sense. Okay, sorry. I haven't seen it, so I don't know the context, so oh. I apologize. Okay. I mean, yeah. If it makes it, I mean, shocker. Anyway, round two. A young Bruce Willis finds a magic wish-granting lamp that can only be activated with blood. I'm also going to say not real. That one is fake. You get a point. Okay, good. Yay. I'm proud of you. All right. And question number three. Eddie Murphy plays a vampire looking to seduce a mate in the crime-riddled New York City streets. Uh, um, I'm going to say not real. That one is also real. Oh my it's God. It's 1995's A Vampire in Brooklyn. Wait, it was th- not well received. Are these real people? Like those are the real actors that are in these movies? Yeah. Eddie Murphy and Christy Swanson. Oh. The Bruce Willis one was fake. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got a point. So the way that the round is right now, I have two points and Shannon has one point, but we have another game. So the tides may turn. Ooh. Okay, this next game is called The Devil's Advocate. Basically, there are three movies that are all Wes Craven movies, and I'm going to read you snippets of reviews from these movies. But not just any reviews, god-awful one-star reviews of people who hated these movies, which are actually good films. And you're going to have to guess what movie I'm talking about. Okay. I have three snippets for each film. If you can get it in the first snippet, you get three points. And if you can't get it, we move on to the next one, which is two points. And if you can't get that, we move on to the third one, which is one point. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So the first film, the first snippet comes from Jesse Gehrig on IMDb. Yes, absolutely I could do better. I have seen the golden hour's light bathe shoppers in a grocery store. What wealth and given so freely, seemingly without consciousness. This movie is a piece of crap, just like all the other ones. Huh. I just like the free verse, like E.E. Cummings thing he had going on. Yeah. Obviously proving that he can do better. Or they. Um, Hmm. I'm going to get an analytical. Like all the other ones. So maybe this is a sequel. Maybe this is a further sequel. Maybe this is, it's either in The Scream or it's in Nightmare. Or Last House on the Left. Um, There were no sequels to that one. Oh, The Hills Have Eyes. Okay, yeah. Okay, there we it's go. It's fine. You get them mixed up. I, I get always it. get that one mixed up. Um, oh, also, are these movies that I have seen? Yes, they all are. Okay, good. That that narrows it down. Okay, um, I'm going to say it was New Nightmare. It is not. Let's move on to the next question. <sighs> or the next comment. Okay. Oh, it's from uh, Lynn Blake 1108 on IMDb. Okay. Now, on to the special effects. Honestly, they weren't nearly as terrible as I had planned. While none of them were realistic by any means, they were this surreal kind of creepy that I thought was done very well. Hmm. I just like how she apparently planned for the movie to have bad effects, and it disappointed her that it didn't. Right. It would be hilarious if they actually worked on the movie and, like, were actually saying how they (laughs) planned this to be better. I don't think so. Hmm. Like, I don't think, like, Scream didn't have that many effects, I thought. Like, the Scream movies. And then New Nightmare, or or the Nightmare series, only, like, two, only two of them count. And I want it to be, uh, okay. I'm just going to guess Scream 3. 
It is not Scream 3. Okay. We have one final comment. Are you ready? Yes. The villain has long stiletto-like appendages on the ends of his fingers, as if he had an an over-imaginative manicurist or perhaps an excessively iron-rich diet. Okay, so it's a Nightmare on Elm Street. It is. Okay, I got one. And that one's from Ralph Novak from People Magazine, who sounds like a douchebag because he hates all of Wes Craven's movies and he reviewed all of them for People. Jeez. Also, he uses the word appendages. Who uses that word? Yeah, and like making jokes about iron-rich diets and fingernails. Like, does it? Don't don't do that. Right. Ralph, sit down. Anyway, so you got as we're standing right now. I have four points and you have two. Are you ready for the next one? Yes. Might be able to turn gonna, it around. I'm gonna own you. All right. This one comes from Jack Smith, the King of Horror from imdb and i blanked out the movie's name in this comment okay blank is a cancer a cancer that has spread and infected nearly all those who have watched it a cancer that has killed the horror genre the catch is that blank is in itself not an awful film it is actually quite good hmm okay i have a feeling this is about the scream series because people got real excited about the scream series um I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's Scream, number one. It is Scream. Yeah. Yay. I got three. You got three points. You actually pulled ahead of me because I have four and you have five. Sweet. I got to, I got to kick it up a notch so I don't have to suffer through a British accent. Yeah. All of us are going to suffer. (laughs) All of us are going to suffer. All right. The third film and final film. Are you ready? Oh, yes. This comes, this first comment comes from PsychoBob23 from IMDb. This film is original. And the ideas behind it are great, but don't be fooled. This is all it has going for it. Wes Craven should be ashamed of this utter garbage. Mm. I'm going to say that it's about Shocker. It is not. <sighs> no. All right, comment number two. Unlike Rennie Harlan's masterful and imaginative A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, which used the series' baggage only as an excuse for its own fun and games, this one's defeated by the rigid formula. That's from Jonathan Rosenbaum from the Chicago Reader. Okay, so it's a new nightmare. It is. Yay! So you got two points, and you won the game, so I have to finish the podcast in a British accent. Yes! Yes! Oh, man. But also about that comment... Okay, yes. I just like how they think that Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is this artistic masterwork, which, like, I love Nightmare 4, but it does not belong in a museum. It's not that good. Yeah. I know. So you're like, wait, do you remember when um you and I went to, this is a side note, but you remember when you and I went to the double feature of Halloween and They Live, and we were talking to John Carpenter, and that, that guy asked him about, like, his use of, like, metal death music? Oh, yes. The, uh, I'm trying, I gotta try my British accent. I believe he called it the Teutonic crowd rock. Right. And I was just like, dude, get over yourself. What are you talking about, you weirdo? Yeah, you sound like a fool, sir. Please (laughs) sit down. (laughs) Okay. I I didn't promise this was going to be good. Oh, I know. I know. All right, so let's let's get this over with very quick. Um, we're gonna do our recommendations. My recommendation is I Madman because unlike this movie, that that movie pretty much makes some good sense. Um, it also is a tie-in to the fact that we just did our lovely interview with Stephanie Hodge, who plays Mona in the movie. It was also our first episode, which sounds just completely different than the episode now, thanks to our wonderful sound engineer that we're gonna thank later in our credits. Um, <laughs> But uh, but it also has a lot of like inceptiony sort of things where you don't know if it's actually going on or you don't know if it's um, if it's like part of like a flashback or part of a reading sequence, which 
is also very apparent in the confusion that is Shocker. So that's my recommendation. Brennan? My recommendation. Well, I was going to say Poltergeist because it was also a film that used a TV as a channel for evil to come through into your home. But I decided that was too simple. So I'm going to suggest the underrated Poltergeist 3, which nobody likes, but I rather adore. It uses mirrors in a very special way, and it has a low budget, but it's pretty incredible. And it's Heather O'Rourke, Heather O'Rourke in a giant skyscraper apartment building. It's a lot of fun. You should check it out. Now I'm just whispering. I got to figure I out. I know. Yeah. You are, bring it back. Bring it back. You got it. <laughs> the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> just go full Cockney. Okay. Uh, so to contact us, Brennan, just because we want to hear. Oh, my God. Oh, how are you oh, doing? Oh, bother. Oh, God. I guess uh, to be British, you just have to elevate your speech. Basically. If you remember from the last episode, next week we will be watching Silence of the Lambs. So if you would like to tweet, or if you would like to contact us with comments, questions to ask us during the podcast, or champion dialogues, you can reach us on Tumblr and Facebook at Scream101Podcast, on Twitter at Scream101Pod, and you can email us at Scream101Podcast at gmail.com. We are also available on iTunes. If you just search Scream 101 on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Give us five stars. Pip, pip, toodaloo. And finally, in in the most American way that I could say this possibly, our credits. So... Thank you for listening. Uh, the the This podcast, Scream 101, is made by, by myself, Shannon Jalakian, and Brennan Klein, with the wonderful help of our sound engineer, Lucas Cathy. And big news, Lucas is actually sound engineering and producing his own podcast as well with his uh, with our good friend Karina. And it's called uh, The Living Room, and it's on SoundCloud. You search The Living Room, and it will come up. And it's quite wonderful, and he's quite a genius with music and sound, and they're really cool bands and interviews, which we're very excited about. So head on over, check it out. Um, you know, you support us, you support him, you support the family, all, all good. And the clue for two weeks from now is, this early 80s hospital slasher is not Halloween 2, although Michael Myers' face makes a cameo in an unexpected way. And please join us next week for Silence of the Lambs. It's on Netflix, so you have no excuse not to watch it with us. And remember, we will be revealing the answer to our wonderful clue next week as well, so that the week after, you can watch it. Quite. And we will be playing you out with the title song, Shaka, by the Dudes of Wrath.
chiviado 